we got some questions that people sent us that we got to answer. And the first question that I thought would be fun to talk about with you is what is the essence of juggling? And in terms of that, I was thinking, I mean, one, one, it's such a big question, obviously, but one starting point could be, you were talking about this uh, observation you had about photography and juggling the other day. What was, what was that? Right. Yeah. Since I look a lot at historical pictures, I made an observation uh, regarding the development of, of kind of the style of how to depict juggling in promo pictures. And it seems to me that if you go back to kind of when photography started and jugglers started using them, because at first it was drawings, then uh, the first type of pictures would be uh, of the juggler standing next to a table and on the table he would have laid out the, the objects that he would use in the performance. So that was the first type of picture, promo picture for juggling. And then eventually they figured out that, uh, okay, our cameras do not, do not have a shutter speed that's quick enough to actually capture juggling in motion, but we can hang objects from strings and then the juggler could pose underneath the objects that were hanging and that would be uh, the promo picture. So like a simulation of the, of the movement. You pretend that it's moving, but it's not actually moving. You could say that, yeah. Uh, and it's kind of fun also because sometimes people, sometimes you see these strings and sometimes they've managed to get rid of them. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what kind of development techniques they used back then to get rid of strings but or if it was just lighting but sometimes you can see these strings in the pictures and then people today would say oh look but he's fake in that picture but in reality all the pictures are fake hmm. it's just that in some you can see a string and in some you don't see the string gotcha but then eventually as cameras got better and better eventually they ha could handle shutter speeds that were quick enough to capture throwing objects uh, and then jugglers yeah finally they could have real promo pictures where they did what they did in the performance but it's interesting now quite recently i would say we've reached this fourth style of promo pictures which is something like an abstract photo where you're depicting some kind of juggling that isn't from the performance. So I think the typical way that people do these photos is they take a bunch of objects and they kind of chuck them into the air and then they pose or stand or do something. And then you take a snapshot of that and that's the promo picture. And I remember myself, the first time that I used a picture like that was in 2000 and five it must have been when i did a juggling dvd called never give up and i my me and my friend went to a racquetball court and i threw the clubs and just kind of yeah i don't know what i did underneath but kind of threw my arms around underneath the clubs and that was the picture and now i've seen that seems to be like in 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 the more contemporary juggling that seems to be almost becoming a standard to to take pictures like this. Well, the reason I, I thought about this, these things you were thinking about with juggling photography as the technology, technology of the cameras developed, 
and getting into this idea of what's the essence of juggling, because I think you skipped over one where it was the shutter speed was fast enough to capture the action. There was no strings, but it wasn't this thing from, you were talking about this 2005 photo that you did. So they were uh, taking photos of just throwing the objects in the air without the strings, right? I mean, that was a development at some point. And so it went from these very posed photos, which if you look at, if you think about this scenario, right? I mean, it's silly, it kind of seems silly today that we would take some string and tie some rings or balls or clubs in the air and then pose underneath, like hold one in each hand, right? And strike a pose, like you're throwing those in the air. Um, especially that seems silly in terms of our, of the technology available to us. That That's silly, why would we do that technically? So then as photography progressed and the, and the cameras got better, well, you didn't have to pose anymore the shutter speed was fast enough, right? So you could throw five clubs in the air and you could actually take a photo of it without hanging those things up with string. And in one way, I mean, this is a, a little bit of a stretch to say, but in one way you're getting closer than to the truth of the juggling, right? And that's why I'm I'm heading towards the word essence. You see what I'm going there? So it's a little bit like, okay, hanging up a prop with a string, that's fake. Uh, that's not the truth of what juggling is. Uh, and so then if you can actually capture the movement for real, the actual movement of the juggling, where you don't hang things with string, the five club cascade, for example, um, then you're getting closer to some sort of truth of what actually happened when you juggled five clubs. And then what you're talking about now, what this, this photo thing you did in 2005 for this DVD, Never Give Up, um, I remember, yeah, you're in the racquetball court and you threw just, you know, six or five or six clubs in the air, kind of smashed them together and twisted your body exactly, and in such a way that you never could have juggled like that, right? And I think the, what I remembered when we were talking about this before with the whole photo thing with the technology was um, you smashing the clubs together in that moment and twisting your body and kind of jumping and falling over that a photo of that maybe better captured the essence, or sorry, the truth of what the juggling actually was. Because when you take that photo of the Five Club Cascade, I mean, there was that phenomena where uh, you can take a photo of the Five Club Cascade and they all line up in a parallel or horizontal, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, yeah. or vertical line. And there was uh, some photographers who did some vaguely famous uh, <laughs> studies into that, right? If you, if you take photos of somebody doing seven clubs, there's the moment when you can freeze the frame of the motion, right, uh, in one way, and all the clubs will just be lined up perfectly at the same rotation. Um, it's just that one club has done one flip, the second one has been doing two flips, and the third one's on its third flip yeah. uh, of the triple, cas uh, triple spin cascade, right? And so somehow those photos, let, let's take that as an example, um, that photo of those clubs lining up while they are beautiful or aesthetically maybe surprising or whatever value you want to put on it that's positive, um, that's not really an attribute that you find in the juggling in real life, right? Yeah, I agree. So if you take that photo and you go, hey, here's a moment and I want to represent what juggling is or specifically what my juggling is, for example, right? Then this idea of, of just snapping in one way the truth of of flattening that moment of movement into stillness of capturing it on film maybe you're not capturing the essence do you see, you see what i'm trying to say there yeah yeah no totally i think it's all anybody that tried to take pictures of yourself or have a tripod or a friend or something and you're juggling 
you're throwing several objects into a pattern and then you look at the photos and there's always something like, ah, it never quite, you don't see the pattern really or it doesn't look as busy as it it is when you see it live. It just seems like there is so much that's being lost in toss juggling when you try to, when you freeze it in a picture, I think. Or, well, I don't even think, I mean, toss juggling is, is a really good, easy first example, but any sort of dynamic manipulation, I mean, of any, any object or body in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you're talking about. You said something is lost, right? That's, and could we say in a very easy, short way, that's the essence of juggling? I mean, there's some sort of essence of juggling there. If we're trying to answer that question, what's the essence of juggling? We can point to that and say, hey, if you just, if you quote unquote, just take a photo of the pattern, um, without any extra considerations f- to the photo, um, maybe you're missing the essence of the juggling. And so um, this idea of smashing the props together and kind of falling over and twisting and throwing your arm out, what you're trying to do there is maybe display that movement that is lost, that isn't so obvious with the normal pattern photo, right? Yeah. So if we can if we can try to move that forward, then um, I mean I mean this this is kind of a weird. It's a weird way to talk about the essence of juggling because we're talking about taking uh, uh, something that happens in the passing of time, <laughs> and now we're talking we're looking at it through a starting point of a photo, which is something that's captured a moment captured in time. Mm. So it's kind of a weird. You see, it's not the same process, but um, so there is something about uh, you know Ivar Heckscher. He's always saying that juggling is a time art. It's like dance, it's a time art. It happens through the passing of time, right? It's a time art. And so it, I guess that is fundamental to the essence of juggling, would you say? Yeah, but, but there is one thing, that, one thing that's fun that comes to my mind now is the juggler Francis Brunn. And when I think about him, his, the tricks that he does actually, they work really well as photos, if you think about it. Hmm. He has very few tricks that, like if you take, okay, let's line up a couple of Francis Brown tricks here. So uh, kicking a ball from foot to foot while juggling three balls in the hands and skipping rope. Hmm. Like if you think about that photo, like it kind of looks... Well, there's like the moment he's... captured where the rope is near the ground. Uh, the foot, the, the the ball is in between the two feet, and because he's jumping, both feet are off the ground. Yeah, it's so much dynamic uh, pose. I mean, moments that you know because in real life, the rope is going to keep moving, the feet are going to fall on the ground, and the ball yeah. is going to land. Like yeah, yeah. And also, like if you take his uh, the finale trick, the impossible trick, is that yeah. the one? No, that's the heel kick. Yes, the heel kick. Yeah, that's the heel. The kick. brun finish. The brun finish is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So. You're spinning one ring uh, on your arm that's also spinning a or, ball. Or two rings. Or two rings even eventually, right? Yeah. Good, good job, Jay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I, t- I, then, took my, I took my juggling history classes in school like the rest of us. And then the other, uh, <laughs> the other arm or hand, you juggle three rings. You have a mouth stick with one ball rotating on mm. the mouth stick and then a pedestal balanced on your forehead with another ball rotating. And then there's one ring spinning on your thigh and uh, another ring on your ankle. Yeah. And that's the trick. And, and, then, your nep- and then your nephew's doing that on a, on a unicycle, a tall unicycle. No, your no. stepbrother. That's what I meant to say. No, your half-brother. <laughs> that's what I, yeah, I, I, I was sick that day at juggling history class. 
Yeah, your half brother, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ernest Montego, yeah. did the same trick. Yeah, that must he must have been pretty bummed when that came out. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, maybe we should drop this photo thing and actually get into the the heart of the question. Mm-hmm. But just to say, even in that photo of like the run finish, you have the spinning ball. It's a motion. It's a blur. We've all seen juggling photos like that where you try to you know have a longer exposure so the objects aren't in sharp focus. Again, it's it's pointing towards movement. And maybe this is just. Um, so obvious to everyone but i think it's worth saying hey you want to talk about what's the essence of juggling Mm -hmm. it seems like that like fundamentally that movement i mean and like ivar says the passing of time is intrinsic to what juggling is it's hard to separate it from that which is what this photography stuff is but if i'm gonna try to move away then from uh the example of photography and looking for essence there and just more generally speak about the essence of juggling don't you think uh, don't you think it's something about the the body and the object and the movement they kind of create together when there's some kind of connection there? Isn't that some kind of essence? Yeah, but isn't that the essence of everything? I mean, we don't need to get into the definition stuff again, but that's the essence of, I mean, you could just name everything, maybe. Or many things. Maybe, right. yeah, I mean... I mean <laughs> what's the essence of eating well I'm moving the fork with the well. food to my mouth and it's in harmony and then it... <laughs> uh, I don't know no but hold know. on no no you're on to something because that's where I wanted to go next is basically I was I wanted to ask you the question is what is the essence of juggling and isn't the I'm kind of surprised you haven't <laughs> you haven't said this before already like what do you mean the essence of juggling in what context or in what way like what do you mean by juggling? What do you mean by essence? <laughs> don't you want to do... Aren't yeah, you, okay, let's break that down. Yeah, don't so you want to do... let's start with juggling. So we've already, uh, both you and I, we're on the same page that juggling is actually two things, two concepts. So you have the throwing and catching cyclically with more objects than the amount of hands. So that's, we could talk about an essence there, or we could talk about an essence in the greater uh, category of, of object handling, which uh, the toss juggling is one part of that. Yeah, and now here, I mean, you're already going into areas of maybe technique or whatever. I mean, we can look at it in different genres. We can look at it as an an activity, which is what you just said. But I think, you know, what is the essence of juggling also just to say begs a context of, you know, artistic worth or validation or justification or maybe human uh, worth or, or, you know... You see what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, but do you want? What do you want to do? You want to take a specific example? Well, like I say, I mean, that, well, like I say, what is the essence of juggling in terms of a technical uh, standpoint? Mm. I mean, personally, I maybe this is just good to say too in general for all of these discussions. I think between us, we don't really say this out loud ever. It's just uh, taken for granted that I, what I'm going to say is that well, I think. Uh, Juggling can be used in an art practice. I think juggling can be looked at as an art form, as a visual art form. And I tend to think about what I do in my process with my work and my practice as some sort of artistic practice with an artistic output that I would label at some point on the scale of art and without getting into art and entertainment today. But you see what I mean? So, you know, what is the essence of juggling? just from my viewpoint, my natural viewpoint, it's very easy to be like, ooh, what's the essence, like the essence in terms of the artistic uh, mm-hmm. 
quality or what makes it unique in the larger conceptual world rather than like what's the essence of juggling in terms of a technique or a specific uh, movement or something right mm-hmm. like what's the essence of juggling versus the essence of soccer I-, I don't know and i think the word essence really points into that artistic way or yeah but uh, you you i think we're approaching also intention because you're talking about art you're an artist right. what's the essence of juggling and now you're creating art i th- i think totally we're, we're getting very close to intention here and i'm not sure in in what you're saying now that it's possible to separate those two or to even talk about some kind of universal essence between all juggling right Mm-hmm. because as soon as we get into a specific into the some kind of specifics i mean we could take an example we could talk about brun or we could talk about like some show that we you and i do or something that you do or an act that we have as a common reference and be like okay what's the essence here but i'm not sure yeah i i, I have to think about that generally speaking Can you even say something about the essence of juggling? Well, sure. I mean, again, I really don't want to go down this path of what do words mean and definitions, but uh, words have to mean something. There has to be a line you draw somewhere. And normally between two people to communicate effectively, you share that boundary or some semblance or relationship to that boundary, at least. You don't have to completely agree, but you have to understand where the other person is coming from, right? So for me personally... Um, again, juggling is not defined by a, te- a specific technique. It's not like if you juggle uh, two balls, it's juggling and one ball is not juggling, right? We, this, this yeah, is I old, agree with old that. news. So the thing is, though, the essence of juggling, uh, I can say definitely it's pointing towards something about it's happening in the passage of time, first of all. Um, and second of all, there has to be an object and a body involved So that's where I draw the line between, for example, uh, juggling and dance. Um, and I know you can do dance with object or dance with an object as a thing. And I know you can do like movement juggling. Yeah, yeah, these yeah. were yeah, you see what I mean. But at some point, if you get rid of the objects and it's just a body, uh, then I personally draw the line there for my own work. And maybe when I talk to other people, I try or I have that viewpoint at least. But again, juggling is a context. Hey, I'm a, I'm a juggler. I go to a juggling festival. People know that I'm a juggler ahead of time. I'm at the EJC, right? And I go up on the, on the, on the open stage, and I do a ton of juggling. I do my 11 balls for 35 catches, and I do my whatever I do, right? And then all of a sudden, I t- I put down the 11 balls, and then I move my hands like I'm juggling, but I don't have any objects in them. I mean, this is such an arbitrary example that I can't really set up very well. But basically, was I juggling in that moment? Well, some people are going to say yes. Some people are going to say no. At least there'll be some ambiguity or argument about it. I think you could you could imagine that maybe that scenario. And so because it's in this context of such strongly, overtly labeled framework, juggling, 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 and then you do something without objects, I could concede that someone might in that flow of events say, oh yeah, but you were still juggling when you just moved your hands. You were juggling your hands or something like that. But for me, I just go, oh, it was dance or it was mime or it was physical theater or et cetera, et cetera, right? So in terms of the essence of juggling, I could try to say that for me, the essence, one, one pillar of the essence would be there has to be an object involved with a body. I mean, it's the Jerome 
can I just uh, ask the Jerome Tama cubic? Do you know about this? So Jerome Tama, he has this system of juggling called cubic. And uh, it's like ballet bar exercises. And there's different levels or pages or whatever of cubic, right? But isn't it like level zero or whatever? Of page one. Page, page, one, page yeah. zero or something or page one. Mm. Uh, there's no objects. Yeah. It's like ballet bar exercises. You're going through physical movements and preparation for the objects later on that you, you you've learned how to move your arm properly without the ball and then you get the ball so you can when you do it with the ball it's, it's even better or, or something i don't know i didn't follow it but but just to, for fun uh, to and just, well just sorry just to wrap that up then people argue is is the first page of cubic is that juggling or not Maybe it's missing a fundamental thing, the essence or the truth or whatever. Okay. No, but I w- let's go back to your concrete example there. You're waving your arms, but you don't have any balls. But let's say you do have balls. Let's say you have five balls and you just flash them really high. And you do that exact same movement underneath your flash. And then some half second later, your five balls come down again, right? And you you uh, bring them back, in, back into a pattern. So that those two movements were identical Uh, in the one case where you didn't have any objects, you just wave your arms, and now you're doing that exact same thing. It just happened in a moment of time where your objects were out of your hands. Mm-hmm. So there, it has some kind of consequence for the greater juggling piece mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And now we're getting into John Cage territory because it's like the silence in, be- in between the notes and the consequence that they have, I think. Yeah. So... So yeah, I I don't know if I, I mean I'm being I'm being mean now because I'm 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 pulling out this kind of extreme example, but I I'm just not certain I'm not hundred percent sure about this line between objects and no objects and movement with or without objects. Is that really the line? We might be able to be, uh, you know, <laughs> picky about it and find some kind of. Uh, edge case where we could both be oh yeah maybe totally. I, I, just, I don't want to close the door entirely like I'm kind of throwing a slipper in there and it's it's still okay it's a little array of, of sunshine still I follow you there <laughs> yeah. I mean just just a really quick thing did I tell you about maybe I talked about this before I don't remember about the John Cage uh, you know 433 so silence is music and then this gets into Brian Eno Uh, there's no new, there's no new sounds, uh, and then my death of the trick thing. Did I talk about that before? If I did, it doesn't matter. I'm going to talk about it again now because we're here. I mean, so basically, you know, John Cage, John Cage came out with the piece 433, and it, it's just silence. There's no sounds made, and you can interpret this in a million different ways. You don't need me to tell you about 433. You, I mean, you can Google it. Um, sometimes people li- sit in the silence and they listen to. Uh, the natural sounds of the environment. Someone sneezes, a car drives by, there's a bird. Well, that's the sound of the piece of 433, whatever. Um, But uh, Brian Eno, when he was growing up, and he was quite young when he had this observation, which is really cool. He said, okay, I'm going to do music now. And now John Cage has demonstrated that any single sound you hear or don't hear is music, can be music. Sorry, can be music, right? And you can put it in a context where that sound is music the absence of sound or a very quiet sound or a loud sound or an abrasive sound or noise (laughs) and all because back at that time it was like oh is this music or not well the sound's not very pleasant i mean there could be these qualities that you're debating the qualities again uh but not yeah and so then brian said well 
since John Cage made this piece, 433, that's composed of silence, it kind of ends the game of trying to find new sounds to make music out of. Do you see what I mean? Because yeah. any it, then any sound can just be music. And you go, well, this, this game of is it music or not is dead. Like, John Cage killed that game. Agreed. And so Brian said that... Um, hey, I want to make music. I want to kind of progress the art form or I want to dive into some unknown territory. So in order to come into some sort of new uh, part of music or new idea of music, you can't just find new sounds anymore. That's done. Uh, And so he said, that's when he started to think about, for example, um, you know, generative music, instead of having the result of the composer be a one-to-one mapping of just predetermined notes that you're going to hear as an audience. Um, he would make a generative system where he's the the gardener of the music, right? He plants the seeds, but then it grows on its own and he waters it a little bit and curates it and trims the leaves and this and that, yeah, whatever, right? So when I when I was reading that book, uh, I thought that was pretty that was a pretty cool observation, right? That oh, John Cage made made any sort of sound uh, able to be music, and then and then Brian Eno saw the, the the death of that game, the end of that game. So he had to find a new a new path. But then when you were working on the definition stuff, and then you started to say, "Hey, wait a second, the de- juggling is not defined by its technique; it's defined by its context." Then suddenly you can put any sort of manipulation or movement or trick or whatever into the context of juggling, like you just did five minutes ago, talking about flashing the five balls high and still moving the arms and whatever, right? And that can be juggling. So putting a ball on the table can be juggling. Moving, picking up a chopstick can be juggling in the right context. And so then I had that that kind of connection of Brian Eno, and it's like, hey, wait a second. If you just made every single movement and manipulation possible to be juggling, then that game is kind of done conceptually. I mean, in the bigger picture, right? I think the rest of my life I will still spend trying to find all those little variations that can be juggling. That's I'm fascinated by it. But in the bigger conceptual uh, framework of being an artist, it's it's what I call the death of the trick. <laughs> like you and Brian Eno and John Cage have now made the death of the trick. The trick is done. So what's the new I mean that's so and then and then anyway, you and you can just stop there, right? Okay, so what you're saying and then Brian Eno made the generative generative. So what if we do that with juggling? Well, Is so that where you want to go? That's not where I want to go. I mean, you can you can stop here and just have that observation and then what you do with that is up to you. I personally did exactly what you just said. I was like, "Oh, hey, Brian Eno then he can he said, "I want to do something new." And then he kept going even after saying that. Mm-hmm. And he said, "Oh, gener- generative music I will. I won't predetermine the final outcome. I will only start the process in motion, and then hopefully, what ends up in the end is something that I had a, a hand in, but I didn't determine every single variable. And so then I said, "Oh, okay, death of the trick. Juggling tricks are dead. Like finding new tricks and saying is it juggling or not? Well, it doesn't work anymore because you you broke that game. <laughs> so then I said, "Okay, I want to find something new. If I wanted to find something new in juggling as a bigger conceptual leap." Um, then what what could I do? And then again, it's so easy just to map one-to-one the Brian Eno story and go, oh, generative juggling, what is that? So now we have, uh, and you can take that on many different levels of the work, like on the broader scope, let's say we're doing a show. Well, that's pretty easy to do like some sort of structured improvisation where we all start standing on our heads 
and you have a ping pong ball and a goldfish and we all like we have the same starting point but then how we end up at the end of the hour so you can look at the generative possibilities of juggling on a long range or a very microscopic uh you know level of just like hey i'm gonna do four four one well four four one is it's predetermined where those objects are gonna go right so can you make a generative version of site swap where it's like you start off like there's a little game i can say um i think i heard about it from steve ergatz and what you do is um, you're going to pass clubs with each other. And at the top of each level, at the top of each number is a pass. And all the numbers leading up to that bigger number is a self-throw or self-throws. So, for example, we have three clubs each and I say seven. And that's spontaneous. I can make it up in the moment. So then we both are counting one, two, three, four, five, six. Those are self-throws. And then seventh is a pass. But before we get to seven, you have to say a new number. And then we don't we don't do the new one right away. We do the first number and then the second. So if you say three, we do seven again, and then we do three. But before mm-hmm. we do three, I have to say a new number, six. And then we do seven, three, six, right, etc. Mm-hmm. So that in one way can be a generative, like on a on whatever scale you want to have a generative uh, level. But I think I think all of this um, is that okay. Um, but I think all of this actually points to the the bigger thing uh, I wanted to talk to you about today, right? We can move on from the question then what's the essence of juggling for now maybe we get back to it uh, later in the conversation but um this idea about brian you know observing john cage and then having these thoughts uh, and then i i'm listening to you and brian and then i have this thought about the death of the trick and i really wanted to ask you um you know where do ideas come from because you think about brian Eno being i think he was like 18 or something and having that observation and for me, that blew my mind because that he had such a broad context or a broad understanding of many different little things in the world to kind of connect the dots enough to have that observation about John Cage, you know, killing the game of searching for new sounds. So I was like, man, where do ideas come from? I mean, in that particular example that you're talking about now, it seems to me as if the idea comes from that you identify you know, the framework or the structure that holds the uh, technique or, or artistic uh, activities that you're engaged with. And then you identify what the structure is, and then you come up with something that kind of includes everything that that conceptual structure can contain, mm-hmm. like John Cage did, right? He says, okay, well, silence, and then any sound can be in that moment of silence, and that's the music. And I mean, you know, the other reference that we should, of course, put in there is also Duchamp, because it's a little bit the same idea with the ready-made, what is art, you know, and then... He has that idea of the ready-made that you just put anything, in his case, the urinal, into uh, the context of it is now art. And then... Well, also that the art doesn't reside in the object, it resides in the idea, right? There it's, you it's go, the yeah. de- It's the de- decoupling of the, of the artistic concept from the actual object into the broader scope of the work. Right. So, yeah, so that's, that's what I take from, from these examples that we've been talking about now is where does ideas come from? It comes from this conceptual thinking about what's the, it's this outside perspective, right? You're not inside of the practice. You take this outside perspe- perspective and you, you try to see the, be- the, the, the but, practice as a whole, and then you define that st- structure and then you make something that 
contains every well, possibility. Maybe that's why I was so impressed by Brian, you know, at such a young age to have to be able to step outside and see a bigger picture. Because when I was 18, I was just in the middle of it trying to figure out where I was, you know, my hand in front of my nose. <laughs> like, and I couldn't see a bigger picture. I think when you're that age, it's harder, right, to see a bigger context of the world. So that was pretty crazy he did that. But maybe we can take uh, a different uh, starting point now that we're, you know, this idea of where do ideas come from? Because I think me and you are perhaps a little bit different on this. And I would really love to understand more your, like, where you come from. And I can start with the little story we had from our from our past that we did a, we did a show together, a little performance for some university students. And uh, after the performance, we were invited to sit down with the group of students and have a discussion with them about what we did, about how we work, about who we are, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I remember one of the students asked, hey, how, do you, how did you create this? Like, how did you create these things that you showed us? And of course, you can answer that on a very, again, very practical level, like, well, I called, I called this guy and he built a, you know, he built a trapeze for me and then I hung it up and then I practiced the trick. I mean, a very fundamental level of like, yeah. But then in the larger scope of things, how did you create this? Meaning again, where did the idea come from? And then I was like, I remember in that moment with the students and I was like, Hey Eric, I got, I'll take this one. <laughs> like I got this, I got this one locked down <laughs> because I thought I did. I thought I did before you, you destroyed my life. Okay. So <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. I can totally answer to this student because, oh my goodness, my whole, my whole idea is that I want to make my process conscious and not unconscious. Right. Like you, I guess you've, you're familiar with that with me over the past bunch of years. Right. Um, I prefer my, my process on one level to be conscious rather than unconscious. But I think that's, hold that thought about conscious, unconscious. I think that's really where this, this question goes in the bigger picture at one point. And so I thought, oh yeah, I'm totally conscious of where this idea, where these ideas came from. I mean, I'm talking like in the creative, larger conceptual way of where they came from. So I said, well, for all my projects, uh, I always sit down and figure out the logistics first, all the practical details. And the reason I said that to the students is because I think there's this fantasy in our world and our culture and our society that where do thoughts or sorry, where, how do you create things? Where do ideas come from? That a lot of times it's this, you know, mystery and it's a romantic mystery of like the tortured artist just wakes up one day and is suffering, is heartbroken. So they write the perfect sonnet or, you, you, you know, you go through some traumatic experience and then you write the perfect pop song to express that angst or that emotion that comes up. And so the reason I started to tell this to the students where I said, no, I always sit down and start with the logistics, the practical framework is because I think that's not really the trendy or kind of sexy thing to say. That's not what people normally want to hear. And so I said, well, we started to make this show. It was like, is it going to tour by car or by airplane? okay, it's going to tour by car. That means we can have slightly more bigger props. <laughs> okay, how big is the car? And this is like serious. This, this, uh, this is not a random example. These are serious things, right? We talk about this. Yeah, we had these conversations. I have made you talk about this. Yeah, like how big is the car we will rent? And you kind of work backwards. I mean, even a practical thing like how big is the car you rent? Because this project we were touring in Sweden, there's a market we play. That market exists. We're not making our own market. That market pays a certain level of salary, 
that's a fixed price. Like I can say I want to have 10,000 uh, euros per show. It's not going to happen, right? That's not what the market we're playing in. So there's a reality of like, how much money can we get per show? And you just reverse engineer it and you say, you know, you get paid, I get paid, our producer gets paid. How much money do we have left over to rent a car? Or like, how does the system work? You, you see, and you say, oh, I have this much money to rent a car. I can rent this car. Uh, and it's going to cost more if we need a bigger moving van or something. It's going to logistically, it affects the work. But I like it. I like it because I go, I got a car this size so I can have this many suitcases or, or things that are this big. And we even drill it down to stupid things like, I don't know if you remember, but we've talked it so much, man. Hey, how many, how many hands is this show going to be? I'm like, what does that mean? It means when we load in the show, <laughs> there's two of us. It means we have four hands per trip. <laughs> like into so the walk from the car exactly up to the theater space exactly and sometimes there's stairs yeah <laughs> so how many uh, how many trips how many trips how many are hands ready to go yeah. we say how many hands and we have we have that that's not just like theoretical funny haha ha, oh we have to do an extra trip that's seriously a discussion at some point where we're in the studio on the floor on our feet we have a prop in front of us that we maybe even paid a lot of money for, and we go, hold on now. If this prop ends up in the show, this turns into a nine-hand <laughs> show, and that doesn't work because we can only do four hands because we're or eight hands because we're only going to make two trips. And if we have the ninth hand, we have to make a third trip. One of us has to make the third trip, and then I need more money for that. You know, I need a higher salary. No, but you see where I'm going. Like it seems like these very, very boring, dry, stupid, silly. Like I don't want to do an extra trip to the car. Silly kind of discussion actually in the in the end for me really influences the work in the creative space that people hold a little bit holy or sacred like you're in the studio and in the studio you're just free to dream and i'm just like i don't want to walk to the car for the third time so it's really affecting the work so i love that personally i love it i love figuring out how much money is gonna in the whole equation i love figuring out how big is the stage i love figuring out how high is the ceiling gonna be how, uh, how many people are in the audience. For example, uh, a lot of our work that we do here in Sweden is um, we cap the audience numbers at 60 people. And the cool thing about that is whenever we do something with sound, like acoustic, like a drum or a bell or a sound with our mouth or some juggling thing that makes noise, we don't have to use microphones. It's so nice. Right? So there's all these logistical things that allow the work to live in a certain way. And personally for me, it's so easy to figure out all those little organizational things and then start to fill in the blanks from there. And I would have to say just in general that my favorite place to be as a creator, this isn't where ideas come from, but as a style of creating, is you have a very clear framework. You have a very clear box. And narrow too. And narrow, but you can fill it however you like. That's, I love it. And it, it's, it saves the, what's it called, the blank page syndrome of like a, that a writer might have or a painter or whatever, where you sit down and you go, I can write about whatever I want. And then you write about nothing because you have no parameters. So I gave this answer to the students. I was so proud and I was like, you guys, you're thinking about, you know, you know, love and you're thinking about whatever, these huge mysteries of creation. And I'm like, you gotta think about, you know, how many times you're gonna walk to the car that's where ideas come from. That's how I created this. The ideas come from the context. 
And then you just completely, do you remember what you said? I remember, you don't remember this. You blocked it out because I was so traumatized. <laughs> no, so I was like, that's where ideas come from. And you go, okay, yeah, but we were doing the Newton's Cradle act there. And you said, yeah, but uh, where? so why did you think about using Newton's Cradles? And I was like, yeah, but because, you know, we have a show like this and the audience is this big. And you're like, yeah, but that's the framework. That's the context. Yes. But specifically Newton's cradles. Where did that idea come from? And I was just like, but it's so obvious. It came. Wait, actually. And then you made me rethink my entire life. Because where did the idea of Newton's cradles come from? I remember the moment the idea came. I remember exactly why, why I thought of it. And uh, I just, I say that right now. I say that really fast. We were driving, it was four in the morning. We were driving back from Holmstead or something to, to back to Stockholm, six or eight hour drive or something in the middle of the night. We had done some shows and we had to make a new show coming up. And I was jamming out new ideas in my head. I was like, oh, what could we do? You were driving. I was in the passenger seat. I was like, oh man, we need some new ideas for the new show. And then I had this observation that me and you, we've, we've done shows together for, I don't know, what, 15 years or something. And the cool thing I think for me about my work with you is we never juggle together. <laughs> like we're two jugglers. We do duo shows and we never really juggle together. We don't make... Seldom. We seldom. But I mean, yeah, as a, as a kind of a general theme, we, we have a, we're two individuals more than a, than a duo. Would, you could say that, right? And so I thought, oh, that's kind of funny how we actually never pass. Like we don't pass clubs or whatever. And then I thought, oh, how could we pass objects like passing clubs without passing them? And then for some reason, and this is why we're here. This is why we're here today to uncover this. For some reason in my mind popped Newton's cradle because I thought, oh, a Newton's cradle is a way to throw you a ball, but you get a different ball than I throw you. Right, because there's a transfer of energy through the, the line of balls. So I thought it would be a really funny kind of like meta, like artistic idea between me and you. Our, the foundation of our work together is these two individuals who don't really pass clubs or pass objects to each other. I was like, oh, I could throw Eric. So I could, I could put a Newton's cradle between us and then I could lift up one ball and I could let it go. It could clack all the other balls and it would send a ball on the other end sailing towards Eric and he would catch it. So it's like I passed to you, but then I didn't really pass you the ball, right? It's a different ball. I just have this stupid idea. That was the moment. And that was really funny. And then just to, just to wrap that moment up, I got super excited. I was like, Eric, we can have a Newton's cradle and we can pass like balls using the Newton's cradle. We can do ball passing. And then um, at one point, I, and, then we, and then we drove some more, like another half hour. And I was just thinking about this Newton's cradle. And then I was like, Eric, if I had two Newton's cradles on either side of me, I could just pass with myself. And I was just so like, I was so um, overwhelmed that I had thought of the Newton's cradle idea and then thought of another version of it that I was just like, I can't believe I cracked that. Like the Newton's cradle thing was enough for my brain to wrap around, but that I figured out another variation. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then you <laughs> we drove in silence another 10 minutes and you go, yeah. Or you could have four. <laughs> you could have four Newton's cradles. <laughs> like two for each hand. And then each hand could be passing with itself with these four Newton's cradles. I was like, oh my God, that's right. And it was just so funny. We had like three weeks to make the show. I was so happy about that idea. But then again, going back to logistics of creation, I'm like, we're going to spend the entire three weeks building 
for Newton's cradles. It doesn't work for us, man. We have a workshop, but we have a we have kids, we have family. You can't just and to build a Newton's cradle in Stockholm. It just doesn't work, man. Like you get to the studio and you need like an extra screw to put the ball on. You're like, well, hey, man, I'll see you in four hours. I'll take the subway to the hardware store on the other side of town and all these stupid logistical things that, again, get into the creative logistics of creation, but maybe not the genesis of creation. And so then I was like, man, it would just be amazing if you could just buy some giant Newton's cradles. And then out of nowhere at like five in the morning in the car, I take my phone out and I just go- I just Google giant Newton's cradle. And the first result pops up giantnewtonscradles.com. <laughs> it was like a dream. It, it, but, was, it wasn't real. <laughs> but that is even more absurd today because he doesn't sell those anymore. Right. Well, so hold, that, on, that, hold on. Those two moments nope. in time, like aligned, because let's nope, say you have that idea now. No, it's even worse than that, Eric. He does sell them, but he doesn't sell the right size anymore. Anymore. That's what I mean. So it's, it would it, it'd be even because that's the thing, man. Let's say I have that idea today, and he doesn't sell the the, the website doesn't exist. Okay, then I make my own, or I, I shelve the idea, right? But what would be worse is today I get the idea and I order the ones that he does make, and they're just a little too small now. He reduced the size, and then they don't work for the the, te- the tempo of the trick. Yeah. So it was just complete serendipity that not only did he sell them, but he sold them at the right size at the right time. <laughs> That's just crazy. Yeah. So that so just so I'll throw it to you now. But basically, I just want to say I had this whole idea about yeah, creativity and ideas come from the logistics dictating the situation. But when you drill it down, 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 down to the real moment of like, how did you get that idea? It's not from the logistics. I have some kind of recollection that you in that moment said something along the lines of, I have an ongoing process where I look for gadgets and toys and things. And that's something that I do always. And it's ongoing in my life. And every once in a while, you know, the fruit falls into the basket and something works. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so that is true. And like, that's something that I think you can make a separation in between where does ideas come from? How in in that moment when you have then an idea, how much is a kind of a general ongoing practice present in that moment? Okay, sure, sure. You could say, where do ideas come from? And then on on uh, one level of that question, you can just say, what's the process? Like, what's your process? That's a kind of a more like me- I don't say mechanical, but that's a more practical way to answer the question. Hey, where do ideas come from? Well, I take a walk every day at noon. I walk my dog. Right. Like, okay, I get it. That's super cool conversation, to be honest. I I would love to talk about that. But you can take it on a a deeper level, too, or a higher level. Hey, where do ideas come from? Like, well, they just pop into existence or whatever. I don't know. Uh, Let me let me just say about that gadget thing. I see my role as an artist um, and I probably do it too much in terms of my process. But like if I make a new show, 50 percent of the time is me searching on Google. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Google yeah. searching, like, hey, I need to have a light. Okay, I will search Google for hours, probably too much. I should probably be juggling more in the studio, but I'm Googling. But I think it pays, like you say, sometimes it pays off. But this idea of being an artist, um, for me, it re- my practice, my artistic practice, it really includes having such a big curiosity about the world, just wanting to see how things work and see what might happen. And I think we shared that probably, part of that part of our practice. We talked about this idea too, 
that you have a curiosity about the world. That's maybe one starting point in terms of having a process about where do your ideas come from. And I think there's also something to say about what does that curiosity look like in like practically. And I think what it looks like is that both you and I are very eager to look for things outside of juggling and make a connection from them to juggling, like you did with the Newton's cradles, because mm. that is not a juggling object, but you could see that, oh, there's kinetics here, there's a ball here, there's that moment, in that delay of time, I can pass it with myself, I could pass it to, to you, right? So you had the ability, and I think you practice this a lot, to identify properties of outside objects, outside gadgets, out, and I'm saying outside because it's outside of juggling. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you have the ability to identify those things that actually exist in juggling and then be lift that thing from the outside into juggling because it shared that common property. In the case of Newton's cradles, it was a ball, it was the delay of time. Yeah, but again, this goes yeah. back to, I mean, it goes back to your idea about the definition stuff of like, Hey, it's it's a genre of activities. One of one of the things is it's a it's a genre act of activities related to the default form. Default form, uh, the three ball cascade, for example. And so then you go, oh, what's that relation? Like I don't have them in my brain. I don't need to because you're here. But <laughs> no, but you know, yeah, it could be it could the relation. That's when we we talked about that. The relationship could be in terms of property. Like there's a ball there. That's a concrete exactly. property. There's a delay in time exactly. that gives me space to manipulate an other object. Yeah. So that which is the same type of relationship as in the three ball cascade. Yeah. You found that in this object, the Newton's cradle, right? So you made that connection. So in your mind, it has that connection to the three ball cascade, right? But back to the definition, then I also included the connection could be in terms of context. Yeah, or culture. Or, or cultural, cultural. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry, this just popped in my mind, but I might as well say it. I mean, part of this looking around at gadgets or whatever you say, or like trying to find things that are related to the properties of juggling. One thing I always look for in the world, which the Newton's Cradle is, it's I call them clocks, or I'll, I'll call them alarm clocks, which basically means there's um, some sort of period or cycl cyclical timing to the thing, because that that is maybe that goes back to some sort of essence of juggling again, at least in terms of technique, right? That we have this idea of timing, that there's a there's a certain period of time that passes that allows for the exchange or the whatever, the repetition of that movement. So I, I look around in the world a lot for clocks. <laughs> yeah, I've had that same, exact same idea. I just call it something else. Maybe it's slightly different, but I, I call it a delayed collapse. Okay. Because when you have a delayed collapse, if I throw a ball from one hand to the other, that ball goes into the air, but it doesn't hit the ground immediately if I don't pay attention to it. It takes a little while, right? I can throw that ball away, uh, throw that ball into the air and forget about it for a short moment. Right. Because the collapse isn't instant. It's a delayed collapse. So I can forget about it for a second and then I have time to pay attention to another object. Mm. And if I off uh, interlace those moments exactly if I if the interlace is, is offset uh, so it's asynchronous then I can use those moments to uh, to pay attention to each thing to prevent it from collapsing yeah 
But let, can we go back to this? I think I wanted to ask you more about the curiosity of the world. Or maybe you don't remember this, but I remember you saying something about this. I thought you had a pretty good formulation about how you thought about curiosity in your practice. Do you remember this at all? Can I help you with it? If you don't know what I'm saying? I do not. You have some sort of process about, you have this curiosity about the world. So you actively look out into the world, again, outside of maybe what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, then I you, know. I, okay. wait, then, then, you, uh, then you take that into your practice. You try something and then you iterate. Is there something about this? There's a cycle of, uh, of work? Or no, you don't know. No, I know. It, yeah. It's a little bit of backstory to this. And it comes to the, the concept that I think we've talked about on the podcast before, which is this idea that all jugglers, they work on the same collage. Mm, yeah. So the idea is that, okay, we're both ball jugglers, let's say. Mm. I do the box, you do the... Box with a lid. Box with a lid, let's say. <laughs> and then we meet at the convention and I'm like, oh yeah, cool, box with a lid. And then I add that to my juggling routine as well. But you saw me do uh, back crosses and you didn't know that trick. So then you add that to your right. routine, Collage, right? Yeah. And then everybody works in this way. So we all kind of work on the same collage and the the the, uh, the creation happens at the edge of this collage and as soon as it's it's taken place some kind of creation it might immediately get added to the collage for example chest chest tips mm-hmm. with clubs mm. like as soon as okay so let's get this right now <laughs> i don't know again toby walker doing four two three and then christian one week doing all of them i think maybe or maybe toby did all of them Oh, dude, yeah, I don't want to get it wrong, but yeah, okay. Yeah, well, if Toby was the first to do it, Christian Christian Wolnwick was the first to add it to the collage, definitely. There you go. And then everybody did it yep. shortly after. Totally. Maybe it's Sakari. Yeah, I mean, it's... No, so- totally, it's Sakari. It's Billy Hour doing the one... Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is embarrassing. Well, I don't know if it's embarrassing. I mean, it is embarrassing, but it's also, this is juggling. Welcome welcome to juggling. It shows the freaking collage in action, man. Exactly. All these people did these things. Well, I just went on, I mean, I just went on this quest to figure out who did the first uh, double self with passing. Right. We'll talk about that later, but it's the same thing. It was like, we were in the car. Hey, who did the first double self with passing? It seems fundamental to the progression of where club passing has gone now. I mean, Zhang Lissimo, it's just amazing doing 13 club, like running it, it's just beautiful, right? And you go, oh, the function that made that possible was a double self, who did that? That was within within my lifetime. And then I had to go on a quest to figure that out because I didn't know it. I just didn't know, because our culture just isn't built that way to know where this collage comes from, basically. So here we are again. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to nail this Billy Hour, does full face placements, yeah. the, the full reverse cas- cascade with face placements with clubs. And he also does uh, chest tips w- from one hand. Right, yeah. And then Sakari Menester does all of them. Yeah, but maybe Toby Walker in um, there somewhere. I'm Ooh. 95% sure that that's... We, we'll, we'll have to, figure, have to yeah. go on a quest. But anyways, so on a my, 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 to get the chronology right here, the, I, I made this observation, hey, all the jugglers working on the same collage, and my conclusion then, because I didn't want to do that, I did not, I wanted my, my the, the things that I created to stand out, to be unique in some sense. So I was like, okay, well, how do I change that in terms of my life? Mm. And the conclusion that I came to was that, okay, well, everybody has the same process. 
they all go into the studio and think and mess around with whatever objects it is that they're working on working with so i was like okay i have to change that practice mm. i have to remove myself from the studio and, and add other so what'd you do what did i do well what you're saying now is one thing like you look at gadgets you look at toys okay and that's what one thing that i saw you do okay you know and it's like okay that's a thing you could do well you could look at you could look at physical uh, things happening in nature oh yeah observations of nature and try to imitate that. Michael motion. Getting Michael into Michael motion, motion. Is that. yeah a lot Michael motion stuff yeah uh, yeah i don't know if i have a specific example at hand other than just like i have to remove myself from this place and create a general process for myself that includes components that is not the same as everybody else yeah i see yeah do you do you remember when you when we were talking to those students and i said i my, remember it my yeah. whole speech and you said yeah but jay where did the newton's cradle idea come from do you, you remember that yeah so can you remember back then or, or you can answer it from now it doesn't matter but how do you make ideas if it's not from the logistics as a as something that you would have necessarily spoken about to the students which i i mean i i really appreciate and get your point in that moment but like how do you think about it or did you think about it no i think it's it's two things i think the first of all that i'm i'm open to observations outside of juggling and look for these connections that we talked about earlier like i am and i think that requires a little bit of analysis of what juggling is beyond just you know what's obvious when you look at it when you try to break it down oh what does this actually consist of and i think that's what's the essence that it's not a coincidence in that regard that we both you talked about clocks i talked about this delayed collapse that we both have that analytical approach to juggling mm. and that's part of it because that does open that door because if you don't have that if you don't have that like you i don't think you would have made the connections to newton's cradles if you did, hadn't done the analytical work first totally yeah so i think that's one thing and i think also it's just to be open to like intuitions and observations and like i feel like a lot of times you have all these experience in experiences in your life and you live your life through them and it's like oh it was nice to go to Japan and it was so much fun there but you can have another perspective on that on that and be like how can these experiences be generative uh, mechanisms in my creative life mm. And really push on that actively right. and not just kind of sit back and wait for the sandwiches to land in your lap magically, which yeah. I think a lot of people do. Totally. But if you push yourself there and you try, okay, this, I had this moment, I did this observation, I was out in nature, I saw some color or something that I observed, Can, like maybe I'm not making, maybe, maybe I didn't, you were lucky that you had that connection to Newton's newton's cradle automatically but i think in a in a uh, at a parallel occasion in your life it could also be the result of you pushing yourself well i mean what you're saying on a broader sense is that cliche saying which i don't know what it is but it's like you know luck is blah 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 preparation meets pre preparedness or, or yeah, preparation yeah, meets luck, luck is whatever the heck 
you know, who cares? But that's what you're talking about. You're talking about being prepared. And the thing is, um, you know, so, so for example, I mean, don't, don't let me start ranting or rambling about residencies in terms of creating shows. I don't want to get onto that right now. But this idea of like nowadays, if you're going to make a show, you're going to go get a residency in certain, you know, in certain circles. That's kind of the thing you do. Uh, that's the process you have. It's lined up for you. You're going to get a residency now to get that show, make that show. And then the thing is, you go into that room the first day and you go, hmm, what should I do? <laughs> and that just drives both of us nuts. This idea that you wait until you're there in that studio to, to think what you're going to do. And what you were saying is like you go to Japan and you have like a fun time and it's it's really fun, you know, go to Shibuya, whatever. Um, but that you could turn that Japanese trip into some sort of uh, <laughs> into some sort of uh, value to your to your artistic practice that you have to actively curate that kind of taking in information in the world all the time. So what I'm trying to say is there is again, I think in certain, at least where, where we're living right now and the broader discussions about how is work made and how is work funded and how is, again, the logistics, giving into the logistics of like writing grants. Oh, you're going to do a show? You need to get a residency. What does that mean? We give you a theater for six weeks. And then the first day you walk in that, that empty room and you go, hmm, what am I going to do? <laughs> right? And my, and my point is, it's it's and your point too i think is it's just a it's just a process happening all the time you're not waiting till that first day of the residency in that theater to think about what you're doing you're always kind of in the background of your mind thinking about what you're going to do in some way conscious or not and that gets into yeah i wanted to say um i really wanted to talk about conscious or not but do you have something yeah because i think you're talking about one side of this uh, of uh, of a thing that actually has two sides because you said something like you're curating these observations so that they can take place you're actively you're actively doing that yeah but i think there's that and i fully agree with that you 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 the one approach could be like i'm just sitting back and like if there's if there's experiences that i can observe that happen great but you can also push for that no exactly i mean just to say really yeah. really quick back to what you're saying but like the really easy example of that is you go see a bad show you go see a bad show and of course you could just kick back and go oh this show's terrible this is not for me i'm not engaged i'm checking out mentally mm-hmm. i'm going to you know whatever i'm going to leave early the other way to actively you know curate these experiences you're having is like Hey, this show is bad. Hmm, what would I change? Right. How would I make it good? Oh, that opening was terrible. Wait, why was it terrible? Well, because they were on the wrong side of the stage. If I was going to do this show, I'd do it from the other side of the stage. And you go, hey, you know what? You're an artist. You make shows. You can do it from the other side of the stage. So you're just actively always thinking. Yeah, and what you're doing now is now you're breaking down that observation that you just had. Yeah, exactly. You saw this bad show. Okay, and you're breaking that down. You can work from the other direction too where you go... What observations would I like to make? Well, right now, I'm interested in color. I'm interested in kinetics. I'm interested in movement. I'm in, interested in, uh, you know, surprise in terms of objects. Like, we could talk about the string shooter or we, we could give examples, right? So you could have that as a conscious list, right? And then you can curate your 
experiences according to that list right and i think you do that you've been we, we take color as an example you've been mm. very interested in that and you've done all kinds of experiments and stuff with that as the theme but you also then since you know that and you're conscious of that then you also curate your life so that you have experiences that are relevant to that theme that you're interested in mm. yeah so you're putting yourself Act, you're actively putting yourself in those situations where ideas could appear. I think right, that's, right. that's, yeah. No, so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> I'm still stuck on this thing of like, where do ideas come from? And I don't know why, but I feel I can tell you about my process, right? I can point to my process on a, again, I don't say a mechanical level, but you, you know, a practical level. Like what actions do I take? But I still feel bad somehow that I can't uncover for you. I can't make conscious for you that exact moment when the idea pops into my head. But I did, but I did think of a couple maybe important or fun things to share about the more practical side of where do ideas come from, right? In terms of the consciousness, unconsciousness, larger discussion that's still, I, I just don't know what to say about it. But basically, what you were saying there a, a little bit now was uh, the one thing I actively try to do in my practice is if I see something, let's say I see something and go, oh, that's good. I make myself say at least three things about that thing that's beyond the word good because good has no meaning. <laughs> everything is good or, you, you know, everything that I like is good or cool. I mean, cool is the even worse word. Oh, hey, man, did you did you see that that show last night? Yeah. What do you think? Hey, it was super cool. Okay, well, that doesn't do me any good in terms of my my artistic practice, right? It doesn't push me forward. I have to at least I make I have trained myself very consciously to use language that is as specific and concrete as I can, because that's what feeds me into these. Uh, that's what feeds breaking down these these concepts and preparing myself to connect into if I meet some object like the Newton's cradle, I can identify things because I, I didn't go like this. I didn't go. Oh, hey. Uh, juggling what do you think about juggling yeah juggling is cool hmm what else is cool oh newton's cradles are cool Ooh, wait a second they're both cool <laughs> like that's not the process right no no you're talking about that you're training yourself to articulate you're t training yourself to be specific and to think with precision yeah and I think that's very. And, and what is the method to do that? Well, you can write it down. Or no, can, and just for example, you can just observe the language you're using and just say, "Hey, that's cool." Yeah, but what do you mean by cool? What's cool about it? Yeah. Well, I can't. And that's. But that's that's the thing is that people usually can't say. That's the hard part. Hey, but why why do you like that song? I don't know. Right. And we're going to consciousness, unconsciousness now, like into intuition versus. Yeah. Yeah, consciousness. But yeah. I think it's worth thinking about because there is that second step, I think, when you say um, that show was cool. Well, how was it cool? So now you're looking for precision in terms of cool because cool is not precise. Mm. It is a general statement about this performance that you just saw. And now you want to do now you want to articulate that with precision. But you can you can say also to yourself, ask yourself the question. In what medium am I doing the articulation? Okay, am I sure. Writing? I see, I see. Yeah. Am, am I having this conversation with you? 
like all things are valid, right? And and we can have you know personal preference preferences in terms of what works for for us. Are you writing a journal? Are you you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, the other in, in in terms of in terms of what uh, these observations. Uh, that you're doing that that you make sure that you curate that you make sure that they're in your life with continuity mm. i think you can have that conscious list of what those experience experiences should should be what properties they should uh, should have and i think you can make such a list on a piece of paper or in your mind what what you want and you make such a list such a list uh, based on your preferences, your tastes, your interests. And here's the cool one that, like I started working with recently, you can make that in terms of references that you choose. Mm, you have to explain that. Yeah, so let's say let's say you're really into Brian Eno and John Cage and uh, mm. what's the color guy, Albert... Uh, and Joseph Albert. <laughs> Joseph Joseph Albert. Albert Lucas. Uh, and, Al- <laughs> and and Albert Lucas, of course. Yeah. So that's that's the stuff that you that you're into right now, and it's it's difficult for you to make uh, connections into the real world using those specifics, but you can still choose them, and you can you can choose that I'm gonna have these observations, I'm gonna I'm gonna curate curate these experiences for myself, and I'm gonna specifically approach those experiences through the thinking that I'm familiar with from Brian Eno, Joseph Alberts, and Albert Lucas, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think there's, there's a lot of work that can be done in terms of curating these experiences, in terms of analyzing what it is that you want out of them, and treating the material that you get when you have an experience. I mean, obviously, we're having a pretty, in one way, conceptual conversation right now. Um, it can maybe sound, I think, if I imagine myself, a younger self, maybe it sounds intimidating or it sounds like, uh, I don't know, uh, unobtainable or, or inaccessible, like not a very accessible, like me and you, I think, can talk casually about it because we know we've li- we've lived through it, right? I think when you're living through the process, it's so easy to relate to what you're saying. And I always get a little bit... Um, maybe self-conscious about uh, like I just think about teaching in class when I'm teaching students and then I say okay juggling uh, it's an art form it can be used as an art form and in art we express ourselves and then you think okay what does my juggling express and that can be such an intimidating question it can sound just like completely from outer space like an unanswerable question like what does my juggling express Uh, I don't know like it's such a it can be it can sound so big when you talk on these more conceptual levels about the work but what I hear, like I, because I work with you and I know what you're saying, these things are so easy to do and they're not, they're not mysterious. They're not challenging. They're just so easy. It's just like when we talk about it, it sounds maybe a bit complicated or foreign or intimidating or something. And I just wanted to give an example towards that, which is, you know, Hey, that thing is cool. Okay. Why is it cool? Well, here's the thing. If you're stuck and you go, I don't know. I just think it's cool. The way you can start, the way I started to work on this with myself is I just started to, I made myself guess. Mm. You can make mistakes, you can be wrong. You can say, hey, why is that song cool? Oh, I really like the drum beat. And then the next day you go, oh, that drum beat was terrible. It's okay. 
it's a process of learning to understand you, what you like to do. It's also just a process of learning to make choices. Like we talked about this before, um, about just this idea of an artist as a person who basically gets paid to have an opinion on one level, and you're just curating that opinion. And to curate an opinion, for example, you can make mistakes, you can screw it up, you can change your mind. You can say in the morning, man, this song is cool. Oh, why do you think it's cool? Ah, I love the lyrics on the chorus. And then in the evening you go, oh, that's really stupid when they sing about that, right? It's okay. There's yeah. not one absolute fundamental, you know, again, truth or right or wrong is what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah, I just wanted I mean, to point that out. About, I'm thinking about Luke Wilson now because he was so adamant about the list of your 10 favorite jugglers. Mm. We should all have that list. I remember yeah. he was, you know, always yelling about that. We should all have that list. And then, you know, someone was saying like, yeah, but it's so hard and I don't know. And, and I remember him saying that, but you can change your mind tomorrow. Yep. Like it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. So yeah, it's the act of making the list. That is the important part. It's not the act and the specifics of having that list. Um, I just wanted to point out a couple more little methods that I use to, and like these, these things we've been talking about. Um, one is I, I had to early on try to have this idea about conceptualizing specifics. So for example, a body, uh, sorry, a shoulder throw. Okay, it's a shoulder throw. I'm done. I did a shoulder throw. The ball went over my shoulder, right? But if you don't say it's a shoulder throw, if you say it's a body throw, so you're, you're, you're abstracting up a level. You're taking a specific activity and you're abstracting up onto a larger picture, a larger view. Right. What's the larger group of con conceptual groups? Because if you say, if you, if you, component belongs in. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Because if you say, hey, let's just do shoulder, let's do shoulder throws. Okay, I'll do shoulder throws. Then you're done. You threw the ball over your shoulder, right? Um, maybe you can do it in different combinations, but you're done. But if you say, oh, no, I'm not doing shoulder throws. I'm doing body throws. Well, you have different parts of your body. You just op you just expanded your universe, right? You just opened up all these possibilities. So that's a game I've been playing since I was young, is I've been trying to abstract up and up and up and up. <laughs> you know, once, it, so am I, am I doing body throws? Okay, what am I actually doing? You know, I don't know, toss juggling or blah, blah, blah. Like how high up can you go? It's a fun game to play. Mm -hmm. I think that's when you get into Newton's cradles and stuff because you start to abstract up the hierarchy of like the overarching concepts. That's one thing I try to do. Um, and then another really, really stupid little game I play a lot. Um, and again, I think I played these games more consciously when I, like I forced myself to do these when I was younger. Nowadays, because I've been doing it for 20, 30 years, I don't have to think about it as much. But let's say you're going to make, a, I'm going to do a new three ball start. I'm going to make a three ball start. Um, I think two things normally happen with people. Number one is they, they're going to make uh, two or three versions of something. And they're going to think that the first version is going to be good. So they're going to have in their mind, okay, what could a three ball start be? Okay, I'll do it crossed armed. And then you, without trying the crossed arm version, you, uh, you just dismiss it in your head. You go, nah, crossed, come on, crossed arm. This is, that's not worth doing, right? So you cross it off before you try it. So I had this, I came up with this thing for myself years ago when I started juggling, uh, exploring juggling more actively. And I said, uh, I'm going to do 10 examples of every idea. And there's a thing with 10 for me, at least. Number one, you get all the easy ideas out of the way. You do them. You go, oh, I should try it with crossed arm. Okay, cool, I do it. Number one, done. Number two, done. Number three, done. For me personally, when I get to version number seven, that's when I'm out of ideas. 
And then that's why eight, nine, and 10 actually start to be something new that I wouldn't have thought of before. So I give myself permission maybe to fail more or something. I don't know. But this is a little trick, a mind trick of like 10 times. Yeah, and you exhaust yourself in terms of all the obvious things. Yeah, exactly. And you, yeah. Hey, look, one one more thing I have to know about this thing about where do ideas come from. I wanted to ask the last kind of big idea for now. Um, Can you create something devoid of context? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'll. I mean, what you're saying is, you're in some kind of blank space, which is hard to imagine. But let's just go with it. But what you're saying is, I I'm allowed to bring in whatever I want into that blank box, blank studio, blank whatever it is. Not even undefined. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But well. You're never going to get out of the context of you being you and you being human and you being, you know, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be the story, I, I, unless we move into some sci-fi sure. situation, so, but, but just to be I mean, I mean, this, this, I mean, this is, this is, this is the, I mean, for me, this is the type of question I'm like, hey, is it possible to perform without a costume? No, it's not by definition of what a costume is, uh, you will have one, whether you're naked, that is your costume. It was, you know, that's the, that's what you're wearing. It's just what a costume means. So can you create devoid of context? Uh, I think it's kind of the same, similar. You can't be devoid of context. But, but here's something I, I think I've been thinking about a lot, uh, because I met someone who was working in this way. So the question is, uh, can the more clear, and defined context come later in the creation process. So mm. just to kind of wrap up this whole conversation, I was telling those students, you got to start with the clear, <laughs> you know, this is the size of the stage. This is the blah, blah, blah. This is your mm. salary. This is how many weeks you have to create the show. This is all those things, right? So what I'm saying is I met a person uh, who said, Hey, I do this type of work. Uh, they, they have this this type of, uh, of performing that they do. And they said, I want to make a performance out of it. And I just played my normal game. I go, oh, yeah, that'd be great. So where are you going to do it? How many seats are in the theater? What are the sight lines like? What's the, you know, all the logistics stuff? And they said, no, 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 no. That's not how I'm going to do it. I'm going to start in my bedroom and I'm going to start working with this stuff. And I'm going to start to see where it takes me. And maybe I go to Madison Square Gardens and maybe I end up going to the, you know, South Sea, whatever, right? That they're going to place the context of where that work goes. They're going to externalize the work uh, later on in the process. And they think that the, the process of making that performance is going to dictate more specifically where the context is going to be later on. You see what I mean? Yeah, but when I hear that story, I just, I just think, well, you just chose another context than the specifics of the reality where you're going to end up with your work. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The bedroom is not less of a context than the residency space. No, we're moving on from that question. We know we can't be devoid of context. But I want to ask you, how do you relate to that kind of, that style of working of saying, do you, I mean, really clearly, have you ever sat down in your life and said, I'm going to make this thing and I say, why? And you go, I don't know yet in terms of like the larger world, like, I don't know how it's going to externalize. I mean, I can point to a couple of things I think from you, but 
I think like this, I think less and less because I, I, the more I've worked, I think the more interested I've become in things that have depth and to reach depth, you have to have worked on something or with something for a long time. Otherwise, you're just going to scratch the surface if you do new things all the time. So I think I'm generally speaking, and sure, this can change tomorrow, but generally speaking, I'm interested in working, you know, on practices that I have developed over long, a long time. Mm-hmm. That is my general interest. So I would say I'm not, not uh, at least not actively, I'm not search, searching out. Uh, creations in the of the nature that you're explaining like oh just nothing and see what happens but i'm not sure i'm also like i am a curious person and i like i'm open to you know things falling into my lap so of course it can happen but i do not seek that mm-hmm. uh, actively much I, anymore i mean i personally th- this gets into i think a discussion which isn't the most interesting thing it just turns it just falls into logistics of lifestyle and and how work you know exists in the framework of of our lives but it's like for me to try to create something that doesn't have an immediate obvious context where it's going to pay back i mean literally pay back probably to fund the work i just don't have the luxury to do it it's a very luxurious process but i look at you i mean you did you did ghost cubes for a good 10 years or more without in my mind a clear uh, concrete payoff at least right like you you were just you were just driven. You're just like, hey, I just gotta follow this this con- this ghost cube path and see where it takes me. I gotta build them. I gotta iterate on them. I gotta make them physical. You know, I'm not making a computer simulation. I'm building them. And yeah, but it was founded on an ongoing, you know, interest of mine, which was juggling history, and that was not new in the point where I started with uh, the sculpture you know, making and, and all of that. I mean, it came specifically, you have to backtrack another, I don't know, almost 10 years or five at least to becoming interested in juggling history and then posing that question of, of what happens if, you know, a contemporary juggler would have to make objects. And I mean, it is this it is this nexus of experiences. So it, it, it is that on the one hand, that question, is something that I would say is rooted in a longer practice that I already had, juggling history. But then it was, you know, falling into the lap. Like we went to Iceland and we saw that puppeteer guy. Yeah. That was definitely not planned. I had not predicted that or actively put myself in the situation. I didn't even chose to go there. We just ended up there and True. because someone else took us there, right? Yeah. And then that got cross-pollinated with this idea of, of the historical juggler because I saw those tools, I saw the workshop and I was like, wow, what if a juggler worked on this level of sophistication with tools and materials? Because we were both familiar with the Michael Motion stuff already, but I mean, he, collaborated with the craftsman John Kahn John Kahn and so that was so the the practice was separated there but the puppeteer he created the puppets and performed with them and created the techniques with them and did you know but just it to was say, one practice but yes. just to say there was something about your ghost cube project where you had that observation in Iceland but you didn't go home and say oh that's cool I'm going to make something with that and then you came up with ghost cubes and you said four weeks from now 
I'm going to do the Ghost Cube show and be done. No. So that's weird. No, but what happened was that there was a couple of moving cube structures that I did not create. So the first idea was to make those. I think there's three or four of them that I did not make. And when I had kind of, I don't think I even had to make them. I just had those in front of me, kind of like these are the four possibilities. And then I thought that this cannot possibly be the only four possibilities of moving cubes in a three-dimensional structure that has to be an infinite concept and that came that idea came into my mind by chance by luck it's you in the car oh i need a giant <laughs> newton's cradle right i could probably point to something in my life where i was like kind of oriented myself to have that kind of an idea but that I, that moment when that idea came I feel like that was a that was luck and that was I was open to observation. I had these four, why four? Why not five? Mm. And if it's five, why not 10, you mm. know? And as as soon as I cracked that and then, you know, I was really triggered because again, now we're connecting back to a practice that was very very ongoing which is how do you research juggling technique? And I mean that I'd done for at least 10 years by that point. And then I thought, okay, I'm familiar with how you research technique. Why can't you adapt that to how you research object structure? That has to be possible. And I was already into this, you know, moving outside of the collage, how you translate one idea to another, you know, how you translate one. I mean, it's very standard juggling thinking. Oh, you take a ball trick and you make it into a club trick. Yeah. You know, that already, that idea, the concept of translation was already present in my practice, right? So I was like, okay, how do I take my pretty, pretty significant knowledge about how to create new juggling technique and instead adapt that into becoming how, uh, research in, in structure? But why did you... Then that seemed like a challenge. I was like, I was triggered, you but, know? But why did you allow that path to breathe for 10 years before you kind of had a real clear concrete like how did you afford that you couldn't that you didn't just immediately jam that ghost cube stuff within six months into a product you could sell two reasons the first reason is i made the observation that most people they work within similar time spans again back to that idea of like i want to create unique work how do i position myself in a situation where unique work can appear, right? Yeah. And I thought that, well, it's obvious that if I have the same practice as everybody else, why would I expect different results or radically different results, right? You could always ex expect a little bit of variation, but if I want a lot of variation from what other people are doing, I should probably change my practice. So one very concrete observation I did that in, in that, when I had that idea was that Everybody uses the same uh, work uh, length, <laughs> yeah, 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 duration of you know it's kind of yeah we we can rehearse a show for a few months exactly if we're lucky exactly. right probably a few weeks yeah I'm gonna make a new act nobody says I'm gonna make a new act in five years exactly except for Emil Dahl maybe <laughs> Michael Motion Michael Motion maybe he puts the prop on the on the stairs for a year he's got a two story house. Yeah. He takes the juggling object, he puts it in the middle of the stairs. He lays there for a year. Mm. He walks up and down every day those stairs. Every day he has to step over the object for a year and then he touches it. 
Okay, yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that specific story, yeah. but awesome. But very few people do that. He's probably the only one that does the stair. Uh, yes. Staircase placement technique. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. No, so I was just like, okay, if I allowed myself a longer time span, I'll probably have a unique uh, outcome. And I think I'd already, I mean, I'd done the head roll work, so I'd already spent, a, I think, a little bit more time on that. And the chin swing thing where you pieced out for two years and like, what's Eric doing? I don't know. And then you bust out the chin swings and everybody's like, whoa. Exactly. So I already had some kind of experience with that, with a fruitful result. So so I was open to a longer process. Although I want to point out, I did not say, I'm going to do this for 15 years. (laughs) It was gradual. It was just that I was open to it, but I did not. And I think about that sometimes now, if I would have known. Right you know, back then, what the process was going to be like, would I be willing to dedicate myself? And I'm not sure, you know? Yeah. No, but you, what you're talking about, the length of time, the normal rhythm of how we, how the world, I don't know, how the industry, how the genre yeah. makes work. Yeah. I call it the, the two-story house syndrome. You know what that is? No. Okay, so you're a dance company and you have this great idea and you say, I'm going to, um, my set design is going to be a two-story house on stage, a full-size two-story house. I mean, this is a true story. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. And so then you order that two-story house and guess what? It gets delayed because it's hard to build a two-story house that fits on a stage that can tour, right? So what do you do? Your, your dancers are on salary. You have rehearsal scheduled. Hey, the house isn't going to be here on time. It's going to be like uh, two weeks late. Well, what you going to do? You've got two weeks of people in a studio. So you start rehearsing stuff. You make some cool dances. You make some good dances. They're on salary. They're great dancers. You make a lot of material. Oh, guess what? The house is two more weeks late. Oh, that's not good. Well, we're, we're jamming on this thing. We got some stuff going on in these two weeks. We'll keep going for two more weeks. You make a lot more cool stuff. Guess what? The house is going to come a week before the premiere. You go see the show at Danson's Who's. You've seen the show. And then you just go, why is there a two-story house on stage? Because they didn't rehearse with it because of the logistics of how we we create the work. But this happens all the time in terms of the rhythm of making the work. And like you say, hey, I'm going to make an act in five years. I mean, just look at normal, quote unquote, normal circus school. Circus school is three years. But then at the end of the circus school, you make an act. But you don't start that act three years ago. But how long does it take to make an act? I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We can have these debates. So I love that about the ghost cubes that you had this observation of like, hey, Maybe my rhythm here can be different in terms of the, yeah, the process. Yeah, but I mean, I'd say the two things just to summarize that it's I was open to longer process, and I also I think it was an unfolding, you know, process. You know, it just like oh, and then I could do this, and mm. then that led to that, and then that led to that. I mean, first I was just like, hey, let's build build this one thing out of wood. Hey, let's make it big. Hey, what if it was three of them? Oh, there's <laughs> actually four different versions. Oh, and each month you're paying your rent. You know, concept. Oh, I can pay my rent this month. Yeah. Oh, what if I did this? I can still yeah. pay my rent. What if I did this? Yeah, <laughs> you right. Know? Hey, really, really fast. I mean, really last thing I, I have to know, I have to ask you. You think when you, when you make uh, ideas, when you create ideas or you think of a new idea, is it conscious or unconscious? <laughs> and like, well, how far down can you drill the consciousness of like being aware of creating something. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to divide that up 
and be like, it's probably, you know, 80% conscious, 20% unconscious. Okay. Because I, if we start by being conscious about the idea, when I'm going to make something, I don't think I could ever reach 100%. Right. Right. That I'm certainly, I'm, I'm pretty certain about that. Yeah. You can probably never hit your head at the 100%, but how high up can you get? Okay. Like, you're going to plan it in advance, you're going to blah, 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 blah. I mean, you could probably take some extreme examples, <laughs> like your Viagra gig, didn't you? Like, you guys had to, you knew you are going to be on stage for, was it a minute? Yeah. You planned everything in advance, right? Ding, 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 ding. It was all laid out. Your Viagra gig is a, it's a pretty random I'm segue just there. Thinking, yeah. No, no, I have to. I just have to explain the what that means. So I, <laughs> your Viagra gig. Um, I was not hired to take Viagra for a gig for one minute. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, I was hired to do the launch of the Viagra as a product, and as part of that launch, I was hired to juggle for one minute. Yeah, that's that's the context. They were launching that drug. It was an internal company corporate event. So what were you saying about that? No, I was just saying that it was when that was made, when yeah. you the moment you went in and started making it was probably pretty I got you. concrete. You're, what you're talking about is a point. narrowing of the possibilities. Yes. But that goes back to my speech to the students, right? Like a right, narrowing yeah. of the possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And it's and, and if we drill it down even to like maybe single throws or something. You know, hey, you're doing uh, columns, you know, one up, two up, and then you have to do a pirouette next. Well, what are you going to do in between those two, right? Like you can create very, very specific, narrow kind of moments of like how conscious was my high throw? Mm. Or I don't know. That was maybe a bad example. But you see what I mean? Like you're trying to – that's what you're saying with the Viagra gig. It's like I had a really strict set of parameters. I did not have freedom to choose – you know, my costume, the, what my costume was, what color it was, where, how many steps I could take or what kind of music I had. My, yeah, my, and, and so, yeah, maybe that's a thing of like, how conscious are your, is that moment of creation? It's like, well, what if other people just told you what to do? Is that, but then is it a moment of creation or where is your creation inside of that? But, you know, everything could just be laid out for you when you enter it. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I also have to think like, exactly what you mean in terms of con conscious say the question again yeah no i'm 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 really stuck about this idea of you know fundamentally is my pro am i aware of what i'm doing in my work and and i think i've gotten so much uh, value out of examining things that i took for granted when i was a kid and so then i start to think um hey i really want to be aware of where these ideas come from. And so I guess the question is, can you be aware of where the ideas come from, you know, all the way down, like a hundred percent, can you be conscious? Like, are you conscious of where your ideas come from in those moments when they pop into your head? And like you said, you can't maybe a hundred percent be, but you can prepare yourself. You can, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if your idea, if you're conscious, you have a you have a thought process and then the idea that you have is very singular okay like it's just a conceptual idea like okay now i need an example for what that could be john cage i'm going to do silence is music it's already done right already at the point when you have the idea like the work is done 
I'm gonna make a song. It's just silence. Uh, and so there, I think, but where did then, was that idea to have that silence song? Was that conscious? Right. Well, yeah, you get. Yeah, I think you're getting into murky ter- territory. I mean, again, you can point backwards at the process. Right, yeah. You can do that, and you can also, I think it's very easy to start post-rationalizing. What was it that I did? And, and, th- and that can also be a practice that I think is useful. Like, it's not, it's not a negative thing to post-rationalize, I think. Totally. Because like, you try to make sense of what you did so that you can be, so that those, that process can be useful for you again, right? Yeah. If you, every time you create something and you just like, well, I created something, it was great, but I have no idea how that could happen. Yeah. Right? That's not very useful. And even if you do not know, at least not in the moment when it happened, I think it's very useful to 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 actually reflect and try to post-rationalize and be like, what did I actually do? And how did I actually get to that point? Even if you're at, if the reality is that you're wrong, it's still useful. Yeah. And then the, the theme music fades in.